I'm enjoying the study through Philippians. We're about halfway through or so, a third of the way through the last chapter. So we'll still be in it for a few more weeks, though, as we go through and see what Paul has to say about joy. And really, Paul is uncovering in the book of Philippians so many keys to how we can live a life that, well, it's the way life was designed to be lived, a life of peace and joy, a life of fulfillment and meaning. And there's just so much in here. And this verse that we are in this morning, verse 8, um, well, originally I was planning on doing verses 8 and 9 together, but then the more I studied verse 8, I thought, oh, shoot, I, I don't think I can get 9 in there with it. So I was just going to do 8. And then a few days ago, as I was studying some more, I'm realizing I don't even think I can get through verse 8. So I decided to cut it up into two segments, part one this week and part two next week. But then after first service, it it may be three parts because I didn't get very far. So, But Philippians 4.8 is a passage of Scripture about meditation, this important activity of how we can use our minds to kind of proactively program into our lives those things that God wants to be a part of our lives, to help us to work through our lives. And let's just read it first. He says, finally, brethren. And you know when a preacher says finally or in conclusion, it doesn't mean anything. It's nowhere close to being over. But he says, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditation, something the Bible talks about a lot. Now, for most people, when they think about meditation, they think of some sort of activity whereby you empty your mind. You just try not to think of anything, or you try to just focus on one thing, your belly button, or a magic word, or whatever, just to, you know, I remember my wife, Ann, years ago, before I knew her, she decided that she needed some peace in her life, and so she signed up for a class in Transcendental Meditation, which was real big back then in the 70s, and so she went and went through the whole class and got her secret code word, her mantra, but like a day or two later, she forgot the mantra, so it was like... That was it. It was over. But a lot of times, that's our idea of meditation. When the Bible talks about meditation, it's something a lot more constructive than that. It's talking about thinking deliberately in a way that helps you to work through issues that you need to work through. It's taking the time to be alone with your thoughts, to allow God to be a part of your thoughts too, but just to think your way through things. And here, Paul says, Here are some of the things that you need to include in your meditation, some of the processes that you need to work through. See, our minds are amazing. I I, I started to say they're amazing machines, but they're so much more amazing than any machine that you've ever come up with. We still have no idea what makes the brain work the way it does. We pick up little clues and we have little ideas. We know that we don't use but a small percentage, less than 10% of our brain, even on a good day. Most of it is just sitting there ticking away dormantly. We also know how important thinking is. We can't do anything without thinking. And yet we also know that our thinking can be a real trap. 
as we think too much, as we try too hard, as we wrestle with issues, so often the stress that we experience in life is coming from thinking in a way that isn't productive, that isn't helpful. And so when we talk about meditation, we're talking about how to program into our lives things that will be beneficial. In the computer world, they, in the old days, they had an expression, G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. The idea is, and today with the modern uh, conveniences of computer interfaces, we don't even have to think much in terms of programming of computers because the programming languages have become at such a high level that all we have to do is answer a few questions and the program does its own thing. But if you're a computer programmer, and even just as a computer user, you realize the computer can only turn out good information if good information has been put into it. And someone has to deliberately tell that computer processor what to do step by step. One of the frustrating things about computers is they do exactly what someone tells them to do. We have today a big problem with things like computer viruses and worms, these programs whereby someone is able to intrude in your computer and tell it to do things you don't want it to do. The world is kind of that way too. People are able to put things into our heads, whether we like it or not, and some of those things that they put into our heads don't help us. So you may remember something that someone told you when you were a little kid, and you heard it and you Maybe you believed it, maybe you didn't, but there it is still in the back of your mind, polluting and destroying so much of who you are. You limit yourself, you hold yourself back because someone stuck a virus in your head that says you're never going to amount to much. You're stupid, you're ugly, you're a failure, you're not worth much. And as a result, as much as you go, I don't believe that, it's amazing how easily our brains can become programmed with things that are that are unfortunate or negative and untrue. And so it's really important for us to, as much as we can, put things into our head that's good and productive, to listen to those messages and to deliberately incorporate into our lives things that are going to end up being fruitful in our lives. And that's basically what Paul is telling us. And then he goes down the list with some suggestions of how we can program our minds. Everything that goes wrong in our life starts with a bad idea. All of the dumb things that you've ever done started out with just thinking about doing it. Somewhere you had a bad idea and it turned into a bad action. As much as we like to pretend like, well, I wasn't even thinking, I just did it. We can't do anything without thinking. What we like to do is dodge responsibility by pretending that we weren't thinking it or someone else did it. So Paul says, look, here are things, areas, ways in which I want you to meditate. I want you to consistently and deliberately program into your minds things that are going to be productive. And as he starts out in this list, he begins in a great place. Whatever things are true, true. Now, 
we understand, most of us, that certain things are true and therefore other things are false. There are people philosophically today who would try to convince us that, you know, truth is relative. What's true for one person isn't true for another person. And, and I understand what they mean because something that may seem relevant to one person doesn't connect with another person. But we can't have a meaningful discussion without acknowledging that there certainly is such a thing as something being true or not objectively and something being false. If, it's, if there isn't such a thing as truth, then we're, we're stuck, we're sunk. And if there isn't such a thing as truth, you can't even know that a statement like truth isn't relative, how do you know that's true if there isn't such a concept as truth? Our source of truth is God himself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. At the same time, the Bible says that there's a, there's a being called Satan, and called the devil, called other things, but he's the source of so much of the evil that goes on in the world, although we sure do our share to contribute. And he is called the father of lies. There's a force, a, a being that is deliberately trying to fool us. To make matters worse, our world does a good job of faking things also. And as a result, we find so much in our lives, I don't even know what the truth is. And worse than that, we decide, I'm not sure if I want to know the truth. The Greek word here that's translated for truth is an interesting word. The, the main part of the word is a word that means secrets or hidden. But there's a prefix added to it, the Aleph, the first letter of the alphabet, that makes it negative. So basically, when he says whatever things are true, it's, it's literally saying, whatever things are not a secret, not hidden. And for each of us, we have to decide, do we really want to know the truth? Because it isn't easy to discern the truth. There are a lot of people out there sharing ideas. Many of them have an agenda to try to make you believe what they want you to believe. The entire advertising industry is this way. It's, an, it's a, the the programming of basically a virus into your head that makes you think you really need a Dorito right now. <laughs> or that you really would have fun if you went here, or you did this, or you looked that way. And see, ever since we're little kids, we kind of live in a fantasy world. We're protected from the harsh realities of life. And so... We grow up believing things that aren't true because people think they're trying to spare us from the pain of the real world. But maturity and growing up is facing reality, is deciding that truth to me is more important than just fooling myself into feeling good. Ignorance is bliss. A little child playing hide and seek will put their hands over their eyes and think you can't see them. But maturing is deciding I'm not going to live my life that way anymore. And so Paul says, you need to start meditating on truth. That means, first of all, you need to commit yourself to whether or not you even want to know the truth. As you hear that voice of, of uh, Jack Nicholson on A Few Good Men saying, you can't handle the truth. You know, he's right some of the time. There are sometimes we just don't want to know the truth. But deciding to mature is deciding to deal with the truth. Ignorance 
is not bliss ultimately. Ignorance is fooling yourself. And what that mentality of, I don't want to know the truth, please don't tell me, that's deciding that you're going to live your life in pretend world. Living in pretend world is another description of mental illness, really. And all mental illness, though, there are various factors that cause us to enter into different levels and different types of, of being mentally unhealthy, many of them biological, chemical reactions, others trauma from various events and whatever. But the one thing that all mental illness has in common is a person is saying, you know what, I don't want to live in reality anymore. I don't want to face the way things really are. So I'm going to make a pretend world that I'm going to live in it. And if, if no one else is a part of it, that's fine. I'm going to retreat to my cave, and I'm going to live in my little world. And for people who have struggled in this area, it's such a courageous step to say, I'm going to leave my fantasy world, and I want to get well. I want to hear the truth. I want to deal with things as they are. But for any of us, it's a very unhealthy step when we just go, you know what? I don't want to know. I don't want to hear it. And there are many people whose lives are literally deteriorating because of the inability or the unwillingness to face the truth. We would rather be lied to. We would rather, when we ask someone a question, so what do you think of the new haircut I got? And they go, you really want to know the truth? No, I don't. Just tell me it looks good. There's a great song by Sheryl Crow about a person who's been so hurt in a relationship that she just wants to settle for pretending. And, and the chorus of the song says, lie to me, I promise, I'll believe, but please don't leave. And that's a lot of times what we settle for. We just go, you know what? I don't want, tell me lies like Fleetwood Mac used to sing. Tell me sweet little lies, just lie to me. And in reality, though, at some point, we have to come to the point of going and deciding do I want to know the truth, the truth about myself, truth about the world, the truth about God, the truth about everything? Or do I just want to be left alone to believe what I want to believe? Do I want to live in my fantasy world, in my fantasy life? To me, the most destructive thing to Christianity is the tendency that we have to not want to face the truth about ourselves. It's that tendency that we have to learn how to pretend. We, we explain to people that, boy, when you become a Christian, everything changes. And then we proceed to try to fulfill that by changing everything on the outside so that people think we're really different than they are. And we play these games and we learn to become professional phonies because somehow we think we're helping God out. Somehow we think that if people see us the way that we are, they're going to reject God because we're screwed up. And the truth is, we are what we are. As the great philosopher Popeye said, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. <laughs> but it involves a conscious decision. Spiritual health involves a conscious decision to say, I want to look at things and see them as they are. I want to look at my own life and where I am and be honest about it. No more secrets, no more games, no more faking it. I want truth. I want truth over and above everything else. I want truth to be the foundation of where my life is. And so, as we are told, to meditate on things that are true. A part of that is going to God and saying, God, 
There are some areas where I've been faking it, areas where I've been lying, areas where I've been messing up. We need to talk about it. And I want to tell you who I really am. And I've fooled this person, this person, those person. And I've even been fooling you. Some of my prayers, God, have been faked. But God, I want to come clean now. I want to expose myself to you. I want to open myself up. God, I want to tell you something. There are some things I've been wondering about, I've been afraid of, I've been doubting. There are some areas in which over and over again, I've told my testimony about how you gave me victory over this, and the truth is I'm still struggling with it. God, I want a real relationship with you. And so I want to come clean. I want to stop playing games. A part of it, too, is going to others sometimes and confessing who we are going back to people that we have lied to and say, you know, I might have misled you here a little bit. The truth is, here's the deal. Now, you have to be careful and selective. The Bible says confess your faults one to another and pray one for another, but it doesn't mean you need to confess your faults to everyone. But it means that at some point, you need to let people have a peek at who you really are. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And often we go, why does he want us to confess our sins? It's not for him. He knows our sins. He sees everything that we've ever done wrong. And he loves us anyway, and he accepts us the way we are. But confessing our sins allows us to, in some little area of our life, to quit hiding to stop pretending, to instead shine light into the dark corners of our lives. And I believe that there's a constant pressure on us to decide to pretend rather than to decide to open up and shoot straight and be honest. And part of our meditation as we go to the Lord needs to be Search me, O God, know my heart, try me and know my thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. A part of it is just coming to God and going, okay, God, there's a lot of stuff I've been phony about. There are a lot of people I haven't been honest with. I've been pretending to be something that I'm not. God, why is that? Sometimes God brings messengers into our lives to call us on our phoniness because our phoniness is destroying us. And so God brings people along. For many of us, it's our spouse. You know how it's almost amazing how the person in the world who is most capable of driving you nuts is the person that you married? And you're going, why is that? You're messed up. God knew he needed an inside person to point out your hypocrisy. And yeah, they get mad at you and they say things they don't mean and they overstate it and everything. But in reality, every person that you've ever had a problem with was also drawing attention to something in you that you need to face. And it's not just your spouse or your friends, it's your enemies as well. As they take shots at you, and then you have a chance to go to the Lord in meditation and go, God, why did that bother me so much? Why is that bugging me and irritating me so much? And and then I realize, you know, There's something in me, there's a weakness that I haven't wanted to face up to that makes me particularly vulnerable. Sometimes it involves, as we meditate, God will remind us of something that happened to us a long time ago. Now, I'm not big on, okay, to solve your problems, you need to go back into your past. And That's, to me, a lot of times that'll just depress you. 
But there are times when you remember something that happened a long time ago, and then you go, oh, I wonder where that came from. I wonder why I remembered that. And it may be God revealing something to you about why you are the way you are, what makes you tick. Don't run away from that. Don't be afraid of that. As you meditate, as you spend time with God, have this conversation with him whereby you start to work through things in the context of truth. And whereby you say, God, I am open to the possibility that anything I think of may be a lie, that anything about me might be phony. God, I, I want it real. I want to live my life in such a way that I'm not faking it. Again, I think the church has done a lot of damage in this area because we somehow have felt that we need to pretend things that we aren't in order to impress people who aren't yet Christians. So that when we talk to somebody who's not a Christian, we don't ever want to say, sometimes I feel really discouraged. Sometimes I wonder if God is even there. Sometimes I'm really struggling with who I am, my own identity. You think, oh, no, you don't want to tell it to a non-Christian because they'll think we're as messed up as we are. So guess what happens? We pretend like, no, we've got it together and you're messed up. And they go, I guess that's not for me because they can't relate to us at that point. And in reality, the truth is God is who he is, and he's not depending on your lies to protect him. He's not pretending on your playing games and faking it and becoming a very religious person so that people will go, ooh, how can I be that corny and weird? It's, that's not... The truth of the gospel, the truth of this book is that God sees right through you. He knows everything, those most fragile, delicate parts of you, every hurt and pain that you've ever experienced, every weakness and sin that's secret that you don't share with anyone. He sees it all, and he's not grossed out by any of it. He just loves you more as he looks at you and he goes, you really need me. You really need help. The truth cannot be our enemy if we're going to be healthy. The truth, we have to realize, this is where it starts. I want to start with, with a solid basis. And therefore, if I'm wrong, show me I'm wrong. If you bug me, let me try to figure out why you bug me. There's probably some reason. And so to constantly analyze, and not to be self-analytical or just the whole paralysis that comes from too much analysis, it's just going to God and saying, God, I want the truth. Give it to me straight. And eventually developing friendships with others, whereby we trust each other enough in our love to be able to say, you can, you can shoot straight with me. You can tell me what you're thinking. You might be wrong, but give it a shot. Let me know. And then to go, hmm, maybe that's right. If our first reaction to everything that bothers us, everything that's critical of us, is to defend ourselves against it, eventually people just go, forget it. I'm not telling you anything. You just get defensive. The Bible talks about, we've been seeing on Wednesday nights in Proverbs, several places where it says, there are some people you don't even want to talk to them because they're foolish and that's the way they want to be. You don't want to keep talking sense to someone who's foolish. The problem is we're all foolish at times. And so we need to listen carefully and say, yeah, what I want is reality. What I want is the truth. That's where I want to live my life. That is a huge decision, but it's also a decision that you have to make constantly. Do you want to fight with people who disagree with you? 
Or do you want to be open to the fact that you might be really, really wrong? The Apostle Paul, you know, what a guy, wrote either 13 or 14 books of the New Testament. Wrote more of the Bible than anyone, for sure. And, you know, if he wrote Hebrews, it was 14 books, which I think he wrote Hebrews, so I say it's 14 books, twice the perfect number of seven. If he didn't write Hebrews, he only wrote 13 books, which is an unlucky number, so I think he wrote 14 books. But at any rate... <laughs> Here's Paul, this guy who wrote all the, so much of the New Testament, went around, planted churches everywhere, was revered and honored by everyone. But look at his self-descriptions. We saw earlier in Philippians, he goes, everything that I ever had to offer, all that I ever accomplished, he said, I counted it as dung. It was just manure compared to knowing Christ. He also told the Corinthians, you know, I'm coming to you here as an old man, but I'm telling you what, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm not standing in my own righteousness. The older I get, the more messed up I realize I am. But that causes me to depend on the one who can do something about it. Because now it's not about me. I don't preach me. I preach Christ and him crucified. I believe that though I'm a mess, there's someone who gave his life for me. There's someone who did it right and taught me how to do it. And when he tells me the truth, I listen. Because I don't have to doubt whether or not it's in my best interest. He loves me more than I could ever imagine. And, and he shoots straight with me. And so I open my life up to him and allow him to work in my life. Well, I encourage you. If you've been playing games, stop. If you've been pretending and faking life, don't do it anymore. That's such a burden. It's so hard to keep your story straight. It's so hard to stay in character. You know, like, oh, okay, these people over here, I need to act this way. And those people over there, I need to act. And it's like, oh, man, it's just wearing me out. I'm always afraid that somebody will start to compare notes and figure out what a phony I am. Turn yourself in and go, yeah, this is me. But I want, I want to know the truth. I want to grow. Rome wasn't built in a day, and I'm not going to just be poof, magically turned into something totally different. But I guarantee you'll never grow until you decide, I don't want to believe in fairy tales anymore. I don't want to believe in Santa Claus. I want to know the truth. I want to hear it straight. And even if I'm hearing it from someone who's got it partly twisted, I want the truth. I want to know what's real. Uh, that's something that I just... I don't want to start on a phony foundation and then try to build on it. I want reality. And so Paul says, as you're thinking, think this way. Think, what's the truth? Where are lies? What are things that haven't worked for me? Where am I inconsistent? Whatever things are true. Otherwise, the saddest thing in the world is to live your life faking it, pretending, thinking that's going to hold it together. Jackson Brown had that song, The Pretender, years ago, where he talked about, you know, basically it was a guy who just gave up. So he says, okay, I'm going to rent myself a house in the shade of the freeway. I'm going to pack my lunch in the morning, go to work each day. And when the evening comes around, I'll go home and lay my body down. And when the morning light comes streaming in, I'll get up and do it again. And he goes on in the song to say, there was a time when I thought true love could have been real, could have been a contender. But he said, are you there? To God, say a prayer for the pretender who started out so young and strong only to surrender. 
Sad to say, that's the story of the lives of most of the people in this world. Started out believing in wonderful things, somehow losing their faith along the way, and deciding, eh, whatever, I'm just going to go through the motions. I'm just going to do what everyone else does, fake it, and then life is over. God has something more for us, but it absolutely hinges on our decision to face the truth, to face reality. Now Paul goes on to say, whatever things are true, and then he says, whatever things are noble, nobility. The word there comes from the root word for the word worship. It's a, it's a word that refers to reverence and, and to being in the presence of a throne, kind of. So what Paul is saying is, okay, truth. You're starting there. You're starting with those horizontal relationships of who are you? But then he says, there's a place you can go with that. And now take your thoughts from the frustration of recognizing the phoniness and meaninglessness of this life. And now open your eyes up to the spiritual realm. Realize there's a real battle that's going on for your life and your soul. And realizing there's really a God who loves you, who doesn't want to leave you where you are. He wants to take you to where he is. And he knows the best path to bring you to that point. But enter in. As the author of Hebrews said, come boldly before the throne of grace. Grace, grace comes when we see ourselves for what we are and we admit it. And God says, I'm not going to punish you for who you are. I'm going to show you grace. I sent my son to die for you so that you could have grace, so that you could enter into that spiritual realm. And so in our thinking, it's so important to start with truth, but to move past truth to, to royalty, to nobility, to spirituality, to a heavenly presence, to understanding that God is real. When you find truth at its essence, you'll find God. But worshiping God is something like Jesus told the, the lady there in Samaria. He goes, you know, some people think that they worship by going to some place. You guys here in Mount Gerizim, us Jews down there in Jerusalem. But he said, the day is going to come when you don't say, okay, I'm going to worship. But he said, those who really worship must worship God in spirit and in truth. Isn't that interesting? And here it's truth and spirit. It's the same thing. Understanding and accepting reality for what it is. Recognizing your inability to save yourself, to fix yourself, to run your own life. And then it's saying, let the light of heaven shine on you. Connect with that relationship with God whereby there's a spiritual connection that's happening. And you're entering in in a worshipful sense to going, man, I'm looking at myself and I don't like what I see, but I'm accepting it. And then it's seeing God and going, oh man, that's exactly what I need. I need someone who can handle that spiritual realm for me. I need to bow myself down to him and to say, God, I need you. I recognize that all that I try to do in this life it seems pretty frail and fragile, frankly, but boy, do I need to enter into the realm of worship. Boy, do I need to connect with the God who made me. And so he says, that's what you do. 
That's how you think. Take yourself mentally to a point where, yes, first you're wrestling with lies and truth because that dominates our life. And then once you're settled in that issue, move next into saying, God, what do you have to do with this? What are you doing? See, God's working in your life. Everything that you think has happened just happened. God was behind it. His hand was in it. You know, you might be here because somebody dragged you to church and you think they got you to church. In reality, no, God had a plan that was much bigger. He wanted to take you out of the realm of where your life is. And he's letting you know those secrets, they can be revealed and it's no threat because there's a God of mercy who will meet you there, who will fill your dark closets with his light, who'll give you a true fresh start. And he goes, think about that. Think about truth, read the Bible and hear what God has to say about truth, but then make sure that you don't leave God out of it. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book of frustration because it's a book that talks about what the world is like apart from God. He uses the phrase over and over again, under the sun. It was written by Solomon when he was a jaded old man who had ruined his life in so many ways. And he's looking at life and going, this is a drag. It's much like the philosophy of existentialism. Existentialism existentialism is basically a philosophy that says, what is, is. I'm just going to deal with it. And I, I guess to a certain degree, I appreciate the influence of existentialism because the existentialist philosophers have pointed out in very graphic ways how meaningless life is if this is all it is. This is the only place it is. And so I still, I I enjoy reading some existential philosophers like the Frenchman Jean-Paul Sartre. One of my favorite writers for nonfiction is a guy named Kurt Vonnegut, who's an existentialist writer. And when you read Vonnegut, he's very talented and very funny, but it's also very depressing because it's like existentialism. It's why existentialism is also called the philosophy of despair. But... The thing is, when you read the existentialists, they're right. You go, yeah, I've been trying to fool myself and pretend like this stuff isn't true, but yeah, it is pretty depressing. But then, when we come into the household of God, when we see God, when we allow that, His presence to shine into our existence under the sun, we realize, wow, I appreciate God so much more when I quit pretending myself. Because when I quit pretending, things get pretty bleak for me until I realize God loves me and that he wants to be a part of my life. And so as I set off to spend some time with God, to meditate with him, to work through logically through the issues of of life, I start out with truth. I remind myself, this is what I want. I want to be honest. Show me where I'm phony. Show me where I'm hiding. God, let's get the secrets out. But then... I start to reflect on him, and I think about what's noble. I think about God's sovereignty, about how great he is, how much he can do and how much he has done. I recognize God's worked in my life in some amazing ways. He must be working in my life now, and I can trust in him to work in my life later. Wow. And now, all of a sudden, there's hope. But the hope isn't in things going my way. The hope isn't in one of these days, I'm going to get it together. It's not about me. 
It's not about what I can do. We see later, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's entering into that spiritual realm and making that connection with the God of heaven. That is the message that responds to the need that we establish when we face the truth. Please don't believe that the way you can make it through life is by pretending, by faking it. It does not work. It's a huge burden, and it'll wear you out. But I want to tell you something. When you will accept the truth and reflect the truth, you start to be more honest. You make it easier for other people to be honest with you. Somewhere in that mix, if you just look up and look at his, the worship of God, the nobility of God, his sovereignty, his power, you're going to realize, wow, that truth stuff was pretty scary till I figured out it wasn't about me. Till I figured out that God wasn't depending on me, I'm depending on him. And now, everything I come against in life is just another reason for me to go boldly before the throne of grace, to include the spiritual dimension in my life. As we go through the rest of this verse over the next, I don't know, week or two, (laughs) this isn't just theory. This isn't just something to make you feel warm and fuzzy. This is something to practice. This is something to live by. Maybe you avoid thinking at all costs. Maybe you live your life by moving as fast as you can so that you never have to think. But I'll tell you something. The door into having a peaceful life enters through truth. And I would encourage you this week, face the truth. Just be honest. Just decide, hey, if this is true, I want it. I don't care whether I like it or not. I want the truth. I'm through faking it. I don't want to just be a religious person. I want a reality. And you'll see, once you start to come clean and the burden is lifted of trying to hold it together, there's there's an awareness of God that can take place in your life that takes all the pressure off. There's that nobility of the presence of God, that spiritual life. And I pray that we as a people, we as a church, that each of us as individuals could start to live our lives in such a way that it's about the truth. And people may not like the truth about you. They usually won't like the truth about you because when you're honest, it forces them to feel guilty about where they aren't. So what do you want to do? Be crazy? Instead, decide, no, I'm going to be honest. I'll try to speak the truth in love as much as I can, and I don't need to tell everyone everything I'm thinking, but I'm sick of being fake. That is a a brilliant step toward the presence of God, toward true nobility, toward connecting with heaven. I encourage you to do it this week. Let's pray. Lord, we know even intuitively that there is such a thing as truth. There's so many versions, so many kooky stories, so many fantasies and games and pretendings and religions that somehow the truth gets lost in all of that. And the ultimate cost is we sell ourselves out. We, we accept living phony lives. God, we don't want to do that. It's not working for us. 
Even those of us who are Christians who've tried to walk with you for years, we keep tripping ourselves up by pretending, by worrying about what people think, by trying to play some sort of a game, a charade. Lord, get us out of character and help us to be honest and truthful, to face the truth. And as we stand there just stripped and helpless, may our eyes behold as Stephen did, even as he was being stoned, looking up into heaven and seeing you standing there at the right hand of the Father. God, help us to understand your nobility and ours too, that you want to raise us to the level of the heavenlies. Help us to include the spiritual realm in all of our meditation, in all of our thought processes. And God, I pray that this week we will deliberately, proactively set aside some time for meditation. Teach us what we need to know for you to do the work in our lives that you want to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's